Welcome everyone once again to How to Pakistan. I've got Musharraf Zaidi with me as usual. And I'm going to allow Musharraf to quickly tell us what this podcast is about today. Well, who knows what any of these podcasts are about, Fussy. Uh, mostly they're, they're about having, having a fun conversation, uh, trying to learn a little bit more about ourselves and about different issues. And we've had a really great, uh, we've had a really great response to what we tried to do with uh, Afia Sherbano and Faisal Naqvi and Salman Akram Raja a couple of weeks ago. And then most recently, last week, we did something with Pratap Banu Mehta, which, uh, which was really uh, appreciated, uh, highly appreciated by friends on both sides of the, uh, both sides of the border. Uh, as everyone knows, I guess, in Pakistan, you know, there's been a big, uh, there's been a big, debate, I guess, but also a bunch of mistakes, clearly, that are being made by the government. And PIA is not only back in the news, but back in the news in a big and significant way. So what we thought we'd do today is, uh, you know, uh, upon sort of the bismillah and, and starting off, we'd actually try and understand this issue a little bit better. We all have our personal stories with PIA, and I think those are all important because they help shape uh, our specific narratives and, and they help us understand where we're at. But we also thought it would be useful to talk to somebody who's spent uh, a lifetime um, working on economic issues and someone that I have great admiration for, someone that I've, uh, again, that I've worked with and, and have learned from over the years and someone that I robustly and sometimes violently disagree with as well. So uh, with your permission, Fussy, we've... Uh, We've uh, we've welcomed uh, we've asked Dr. Nadeemul Haq, who's the former deputy chairman of the Planning Commission, former country head of the IMF uh, in a number of countries, uh, a an economist from the Chicago School of uh, Thought, um, and a very passionate thinker, writer, uh, somebody who's written about the PIA fiasco uh, just this week. On his uh, on his blog, which is a really important blog, if you're interested in economic issues, you don't have to agree with Dr. Nadeem Haq, but but you must read it uh, and try and understand it. Um, Fasi, I'll let you welcome uh, Dr. Nadeem Haq, and uh, let's get this conversation started. Well, uh, Dr. Nadeem, welcome uh, on the podcast. It's great to have you. Thank you, thank you, and, and to congratulate uh, you guys on this wonderful adventure. I think it's one of the thank you, and we also realize that you're calling in from the states. So uh, a further note of thanks on that, taking the time out. Um, I thought we'd just ask, is, I mean, you've written this blog and it's quite a cracker on uh, some of the more easy solutions because I'm, I think I'm one of those people who just said, just privatize it and get over with it. And you've pointed out why it doesn't work or the experience that for most people that privatization has worked at some level. Could you just elaborate on that? Look, privatization <clears throat> is a very important tool of economic policy and should be used whenever it's important. But the more important issue to face behind privatization is to look at the role of government in the economy and look at the role of the private sector in the economy. Right? The reason you want to privatize is because you want to make a competitive market in the country, especially in the sector that you want to privatize in. If you are going to privatize a monopoly, a monopoly passing from the government into the hands of the private sector is going to no, do no good for public welfare. Ultimately, policy needs to work in the direction of public welfare. 
And public welfare will only be improved if we create competitive markets at home. Now, our approach to privatization has been what I term a dumb approach to privatization. <laughs> we think that we want... The privatization commission thinks it's got a shop on liberty market and it's got some cloth and somebody will come in and measure some cloth and take it away. These are complex enterprises. You can't privatize them by putting out an ad in the paper and selling things to people. We've done that for the last 30 years and we've messed it up. Let's call a spade a spade. The privatization commission doesn't know its job. Does it has uh, sold MCB? It created a disaster. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I think a lot of people right. like the whole MCB thing. But but let me ask you this. You know, you're saying the privatization commission doesn't know its job. Can you name three government organizations that know their job? I take your point entirely. No government agency knows their job. Okay. So we're starting from the point where the government agencies don't know their job. Mm. Why is it that the government agencies don't know their job? Yeah, we come to that, but I don't want to leave that MCB thing hanging around. I wasn't trying to pinpoint MCB as a background. I'm just saying from the day one, first privatization, they have bushed up all the transactions and created an aura of suspicion. And if you create an aura of suspicion, you lose trust. Transactions can't be done. We know that, right? If they want to do these things well, they should do them well. MCB is one. For example, go back to PTCL. We still have 800 million that's receivable from PT PTCL. Why? Because they did not know what they were selling. If they had properties that were, didn't have good title, they should not have, not have sold them. So, right? so we're still waiting to collect on PTCL. You've seen what happened to the HEC. Right? You've seen what happened to the steel mills. So that's why I'm saying they don't know their job. Yeah, but there's been lots of, uh, haven't there been lots of like the key corporation of Pakistan and, and sort of much smaller entities, bankers equity, things like that, uh, that have been privatized successfully? Look, fair enough. The key corporation, etc., were land deals, they were very small enterprises, there was nothing in them. It was just one factory with, you know, uh, some uh, land associates. The person who bought it was bought land, basically, and dismantled the key corporation and restructured the land, moved on, and that's fine, and we've got nothing against it. That's a clean transaction. That's kind of like Robert Redford in Pretty Woman, right? He buys right. things and breaks them up. Yeah, exactly. It's very but, romantic. Uh, it's, but if you, if I, you I look at, for example... It was for you, but it was Richard Gere, actually. Oh, I'm so sorry. Of course it was Richard <laughs> Gere. <laughs> Glad you got him, Fuzzy. Glad you got him. <laughs> okay, so... You just pretended to watch it for Robert Redford. You <laughs> looking, he was looking at Julia <laughs> Roberts instead. <laughs> All right, one of us has a chair that keeps squeaking, and it's gonna it's gonna play really well among our among our among our audience. Hypercritical. Yeah, it's gonna be great. Listen, so it's weird. This conversation started off with from the vantage point that there's something virtuous or necessary about privatization. Whereas I think there's a lot of people who, who question whether or not any of this needs to be privatized at all. Why does PIA need to be privatized? If I could just add one thing to this is also is that if we presume that government has not done a good job of it so far, but they've also done a bad job of running it so far. And that begs the question is what can they do? And if a turnaround is the solution is when has government managed to do that as well? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Look, the, oops, sorry. the point is that basically 
PIA is necessary for two or three reasons, and we have to go into those. PIA is an airline, and all airlines in the world are run by the private sector. So why can't PIA be run by the private sector? By definition, it should. Emirates, and therefore, we should. Is, it, is Emirates run by the private sector? Well, that's a good question. Emirates is, and, and you're right, United Airlines and Continental Airlines are talking about it. And they do want uh, the U.S. Take, to take action against the Emirates because it has a government subsidy. So, yes, there is an issue there, too. As I said, no longer can we look at everything in a black and white uh, situation. The, uh, the government does interfere in the market, and we have to take that into account. Now, PIA should be privatized because, firstly, you're right. The government has made a hash of running it. They've done a very bad job of running it. Okay, so so the first the first logical question, Doc Saab, then is, if somebody's done a bad job of running it, is the answer to take that something from them and sell it to somebody for whom there's no guarantee that they'll run it any better? Or is the answer to make them run it better? I think both both things apply. You can, you can try and run it better. You can also declare it bankrupt and get rid of it and let somebody else take on the job, or you can sell it. So three options are there. The question is, can you run it better? Unfortunately, we've got 60 years of history. We can't run it better. We did run it well till about the 50s. After that, we've destroyed. Maybe 70s, I think. Till the 70s. Noor Khan, Noor Khan was running it just fine through the 70s. We, we were running it. But, but don't forget, also, in those days, there was not much competition. So yes, and it was a regulated industry. PIA had a niche, and you could, you could run it well. But as soon as other airlines came in, PIA started suffering. And then, of course, as I pointed out in my article, there's a number of problems. For example, how is PIA run? We run it through a board that is friends and buddies of the prime minister or the various secretaries. On the board, the Secretary of Defense and the Secretary of Finance have always been on the board. So can you the explain, board. because you've spent some time in government, Doc Saab, mm -hmm. can you explain what these people are doing on the board? Or why is the, uh, like whatever, the Finance Secretary, the Defense Secretary, why are they on the board? Because there is a certain myth that prevails in the bureaucracy that they must be on the boards of all public sector enterprises. When I was in the government, I tried to get rid of them off the boards. But the reason they stay on the boards is because there's lots of perks associated with the boards. So, for example, PIA famously gives business class tickets to not just the individual, but their families. And they give them for a long period of time. At one point in time, it was for a lifetime. Then I think it shrank a little. But still, they give a large amount of generous perks. For example, stays in Roosevelt Hotel and the Opera Hotel in Paris. So, and again, if you go to the banks, for example, banks give their board members generous privileges. As much as, for example, in one year, I remember the state bank made a calculation that some board members on National Bank made one crore rupees in board fees during one year. So this is a huge incentive for civil servants to remain on the boards. Yeah, I'm just in shock right now because I'm on a number of boards and I don't get, well, I get like 5,000 rupees from one for every meeting. Yeah. That's, that's about it. In the other well, board, I don't, they don't even pay. I mean, I don't think they've, even, they've ever paid for my ticket. I think they've offered, but they haven't. So wait, so people are getting a crore rupees to, to attend board meetings? Not one meeting. Over the year, number of meetings, okay. it accumulates to a crore rupees. Right? There are boards, for example, board meetings here, public sector enterprises, 
for example, I remember one board, I forget the name, I think Fauji something or the other. Board meeting was held in St. Petersburg. <laughs> Another meeting was held in uh, San Francisco. And when they go overseas, they see, you're get, wasting your life. I'm wasting it. I agree. They get healthy lefafas <laughs> with, I'm told, ten, fifteen thousand dollars in them. Doc Sub, you've not joined PTI yet, have you? <laughs> no, no. I'm through. I'm through. I made. I made my mistakes. I'm now. I'm out of there. <laughs> and the sad tragedy is that nobody wants to listen in Pakistan. So what do you do? Well, it was weird. The other day, Asad Umar, who's uh, eminently reasonable and one of the, you know, one of the hopes many people have for PTI, for it to be reasonable, Asad Umar um, started to express some dissatisfaction with the high salaries that were being offered to some of the professionals that had been hired to fix PIA. Uh, what, is it, what is it about the the political environment that causes this kind of thing to become acceptable. I read about that and I was deeply dismayed by that. I think for Asad to object, that's really, really bad. When I see him next time, I'll tell him, I think it was very sad. I mean, look, Asad Umar comes from Engro. And I mean, it's almost public information how much he was paid there and what kind of bonuses he got. And I've got nothing against it. In fact, I remember when I was in the government, I advocated this that if we want to fix these public sector corporations, we must bring in professionals and give them bonuses and comparative salaries to the private sector. In fact, Musharraf, if you recall, this is how we fixed the banks in the 90s. Yeah, Shaukat Tareen of MNA Vagara fame, Shaukat Tareen was brought in to fix HBL yeah. In Miyasab's first, if I'm not mistaken, his first, uh, his first go around. Right, right. And if you go back and check the the, the media, then Shokot was paid a healthy salary. If I remember right, it was three or four hundred thousand dollars by international standards. By by sorry, the standards of that time. At the same time, they when Shokot came in, he took. I wrote about it once. He brought in uh, his own uh, sort of people from, uh, he fired the existing uh, management of National Bank. He brought in his own people from um, uh, various international banks. And he paid them bonuses and he paid them good salaries and they restructured the bank. The bank was restructured in a matter of two or three years, which is fairly fast. Now, that's the only way we can handle these public sector enterprises. So I'm afraid, Asad Omar, you really have to have a show with him and ask him why he objected. Well, I guess if I was to speak on his behalf, which which I can't because uh, I shouldn't, but, you know, it's our podcast. Fussy, am I allowed to do this? I, you're allowed to say anything you want. And, Absolutely. Uh, uh, let's hear... First amendment applies, Musharraf, go ahead. That's... Yes, let's see what your interpretation is. Well, I would, you know, in defense of what he's saying, he might say, look, at Engro, I was accountable to a private board and it was a private corporation, whereas BIA is publicly owned and the money that is being paid to these people, the, the, the public sector is, is, is covering these, these salaries and therefore it's fair game for him to object. Okay. I actually agree. That might be a reasonable uh, interpretation. That the question is that are you paid a high salary when the scrutiny required to either be given that or 
to have your performance consistently assessed is not being done reasonably. But the other question I have to Dr. Ashfaq, again, based on your experience in government. Wait, we're not talking to Dr. Ashfaq, though. Sorry, sorry, <laughs> Dr. Nadeem. Um, Doc Sub, he just called you Dr. Ashfaq. No problem. No, Ashfaq <laughs> is a good friend. Okay. Dr. Nadeem, the other question I have is, based on your experience in government, is some of the discussion now a little academic, given the way they've reacted to the unions, the debts that have taken place? Can the government conceivably actually do this privatization now? Look, see, the privatization, any privatization other than Ghee Corporation or some small enterprise, when you've got these giant enterprises, you really have to prepare the ground well and understand what you're doing. For example, I'll tell you 2013, 2012, they forced me to go on a road show. They were trying to sell OGDCL, 10% of it, in a very strange transaction which I could never understand. They were trying to not sell it but do a convertible bond, which if you want to sell something is the wrong way to do it. At the same time, we were going to go into the market not knowing what we were selling because OGDCLS, all these oil properties that are unexploited or whatever. So I was forced to go there and I swung it around and said, no, we are not selling and we agreed didn't sell it at that point. But the question that I raised even then was, what are we trying to do? What are we trying to sell? It's a huge enterprise with a number of properties, number of transactions, distribution network. We must be clear what we are selling. Same thing with PIA, for example. Take PIA. PIA has an international network, routes. At the same time, PIA has two hotels. At the same time, PIA has a domestic network of um, routes. So what are you it selling? Also, are you selling a, all three together? A couple of planes. If you're selling all three together, you know what somebody will do? They will do cross pricing and they will price the Roosevelt and the opera, the two hotels, which have value at a very low price. So essentially what the buyer will be interested in is buying those hotels and getting rid of the rest. Is this for public welfare? This is some, an analysis that somebody should do and it should be done. The second thing is, are you selling your international routes? Fine. No, international routes are readily marketable and sellable and yes, good idea, do it. But what about the domestic network? If you're selling all three together, nobody will run the domestic network. The only flights that I see domestically that might be economically viable, and I haven't done a study, but we should do a study. Karachi, Lahore, Karachi, Islamabad, Karachi, Peshawar might be viable. But I don't think Koita, Lahore would be viable, or Koita, Islamabad would be viable. I don't think Gilgit, Islamabad will be viable. Now, as to, have we made the decision that we are going to fold up those flights? Or do we, for whatever strategic, so now your area, Musharraf, do we want to keep those flights because we require them for our domestic, whatever, needs? These issues must be addressed before we offer the thing on the market. I would say we need to strip the hotels out. We need to make sure that we keep the domestic network or whatever political or security considerations want to uh, apply. And then we should think about selling the rest and figure out how do we want to sell it. Now, uh, just um, another thing, which is that in terms of PIA, there's the question, and it's coming up in the press again, is uh, a, they're being incredulous on the analysis that the reason for its poor performance is the employee-to-plane ratio, the employee-to-productivity. Uh, and... Mm -hmm. 
a lot of people are suggesting that that's not really the root of the problem. And would you sort of explain this uh, in uh, what this line of reasoning is? First, you see, there's there's another problem here. We don't. We are a country where I think you all appreciate that we are a country of dilettantes. <laughs> all of us want to be doing everything at the same time. There is a certain airline expertise out there. Which airline expert is sitting at the table or in the management of PRL? Saris Agdar. Saris Agdar is an expert, sir. But, the, but he's in the, but that's the point. He's, he's an saved, expert on everything. Sir, he yeah. saved the economy, sir, many that times. That is also true. That is also true. He embarrassed Sheikh Rashid on the 100 rupee to the dollar thing. Absolutely correct. Sir. Absolutely correct. Sir, please, so given sir. those. Sir, things, what are you saying, sir? <laughs> of course, sir. Dar Sahib is. <laughs> Sir, Dar Sahib ke khilaaf, please, baat mat kare, sir. Nee, nee, Dar Sahib ke khilaaf, koi baat nahi. Kisi khilaaf baat nahi karta. Don't worry. Kisi khilaaf baat. Main to sirf ek sawal puchta hoon, bada simple. Ki bhaijan PIA ki, if you go and look, and I have looked at it, if you go and look at the boards of PIA for the last, and I don't, please don't, I'm, I'm neither BLMLN nor PPP, I don't pick on any government. This mistake has been made since 1970 by every government, including the military governments, right? The issue is, you go and look at the board uh, members. And you just look at them. how many of them are actually airline experts. Musharraf, you mentioned Emirates. The way the Sheikh run, runs Emirates is through professional expertise. And he does not interfere. Right? You can run government enterprises or private enterprises, but it has to be done through professional expertise. Now, the trick, the standard approach is we take anybody from the private sector, a guy, for example, who's manufacturing cloth. And we'll say you run PIA. Now, is there a difference between manufacturing cloth and running PIA? You know, we have to be clear where are the professionals. Now, if you don't have local professionals, hire them internationally. They're available. That's why I'm all for giving a market salary. Give him a million dollars plus a bonus of 1% of profits. Run the bloody thing. But you, this, you thing, um, uh, this so, so thing, this um, thing, Doc, Doc, here's the question, and I mean, this is kind of a, it's a great segue into sort of a conclusion. Um, thank you so much for your time today. But, but this is what I really, for me, political economy is, uh, is, is everything. And this is partly, you know, this is part of your teaching over, over many years. Of course, we should hire Tim Clark, who is the uh, chairman and CEO of uh, Emirates. Uh, and of course, it probably won't be a million. It'll probably cost ten million a year to get him and five percent of profits. But given his track record, that sounds to be, between three reasonable people. You know, uh, that that would seem to be a reasonable solution. Of course, because we're a democracy and because so much of our functioning is subject to public discourse, which I think is great for Pakistan. I wouldn't, I wouldn't imagine wanting it any other way. I, I much prefer the ability of the public discourse to get in the way of good things as well as bad than to not have a public discourse and let quote-unquote ex experts run the country, right? Because we've lived through that phase as well multiple times. So given the political milieu and given, given how difficult it is to do difficult things, is it a realistic expectation for us to, for example, to anticipate a professional management of the BIA uh, anytime in the near future? Musharraf, I think you, you can't 
you can't conflate public discourse with management of PIA. Public discourse is outside PIA. I mean, for example, I'm enjoying the uh, debates um, for the presidential election. Um, um, you know, in the, these days, just watched the Republican debate yesterday, Democratic debate debate day before yesterday. Yes, the discourse is taking place. But at the professional level, they are not interfering with the Fed. They are not interfering with the Fannie Mae or the Security and Exchange Commission. There's a professional underlay that, that lies beneath the political discourse. Let the political discourse take place. PIE is different. And the government can do this despite democracy because the government is building the metro despite democracy. The government is importing LNG despite democracy. Where they want to do things, the discourse doesn't interfere, they will do whatever they like. I'm afraid there is no discourse by the media on professionalizing key institutions. I think we should not conflate democracy with, with, with running key institutions, especially places like PIA, which is not an institution, which is a private organization or commercial organization. It should be commercially management. It should be commercially managed. No question about it. Well, on that note, uh, I don't have anything further. Fussy, do you want to? I just want to add one quick question, and sure. then we will close sure. this. And that's sure. You know, like after the first, um, after the Second World War, and the use of atomic weapons, all these scientists got together, and they put they penned a letter, which essentially brought home this idea of how significant and the dangers that the world would see in the next century because of these tools of destruction. Sure. And I'm just wondering is that with all this expertise in Pakistan and just adding to what Musharraf was saying is, what is it that prevents the voice of say, not necessarily just expertise, but people who are relatively more well-informed or uh, associations or groups of people who've got significant uh, credentials from actually having amplific amplification or a voice. Because when one looks at, you know, the issues, they, they're debated rather simplicity, uh, you know, at a very uh, reductionist, very simple level. So I'm just wondering, what is it that prevents that agglomeration of opinion that could actually have an impact, even from people like yourself, you know? groups of economists who are like storied and have uh, great experience. Firstly, this is a very large conversation and I think we have to do a, a number of separate programs on this, but uh, very briefly, I think quite frankly, uh, we don't, oops, I don't know what's happened. Yes. Uh, some kind of an alarm in the emergency system here. I don't know what they're doing. I'm not sure I understand. So, <laughs> no, I'm not okay. sure I understand. Somebody either. will have to cut it out, right? Okay, <laughs> let me get back to that. But see, the, the point is that the discourse in Pakistan is very fragmented. Unfortunately, I don't know how to, how to study discourse or understand discourse, but I've been thinking about it a lot. Um, in Pakistan, what, what we really lack is two things which are very important. One, we don't have universities. You have an, you have an overlay of media that is now just been created and the media is running kind of wild on its own. It's, 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 it's the biggest free enterprise that I see in Pakistan. It's got all kinds of voices in there, but it's got no backup. It's got no, like BBC or um, the media here, there's a backup by, of research and industry or um, universities here. That we don't have in Pakistan. And apart from that, the, 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 we also don't have any 
any government institutional infrastructure that will foster a discourse. So we've got a very fragmented discourse in which I don't think you can have any voices heard. There are no voices heard of any kind at all. I guess the only voice that's really heard is the religious voice. And other than that, nothing much. Oh, that is dark. Dr. Dr. Nadeem Mulhak, that is dark. <laughs> it's much darker than that, my friend. Indeed. Indeed. Mm -hmm. On that on that dark note, um, okay. let me thank you uh, profusely, Dr. Nadeem Mulhak, for joining us Enjoy. and trying to shed some light on this matter. As always, we're very grateful and we hope that you will uh, listen to the podcast and give us your feedback so we can keep learning from, uh, from our friends and our uh, teachers and our mentors. Thanks so much. Thank you. All the best. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay. All right. We're back. Indeed. Uh, Fussy, that was, uh, that was pretty heavy. It was. I mean, I have to say that I, I'm just wondering that one of the net conclusions, and this may be something that may sound odd to you, but if you look at the some of the problems that were presented, I'm wondering from a rational actor's uh, sort of perspective that, yeah, maybe the solution is just a quick privatization when you know that the backstopping or the background work is poor, that the government can't run it, that the other options are bad, and that this sort of like, uh, you know, let the wind take it where it will is almost some of the preferred ways of doing business in Pakistan that it has actually worked on some occasions. I, I, I actually have a totally different point of view. And, you know, my point of view has evolved on this. Uh, it's gone from being very, when I was younger, much more uh, pro-privatization, uh, to now actually feeling that I think there's enough important things that PIA does that it needs to be really thought through. And I think the point that Dr. Nadeem Mulhak made on the domestic roots is a, is, is a critical one. You know, there's an Islamabad Quetta flight, which uh, I don't think is daily. It's supposed to be, but they end up not doing it every day. It's one of the last sinews of, of, of the Federation uh, in terms of a connectivity with, uh, of, of Quetta with the rest of the country. Just yesterday, as you know, Fasi, there was yet another attack uh, in Quetta. This is a city that has seen more than its share of bloodshed, and it's been uh, a bloodshed from multiple angles, from different groups uh, targeting different communities. Uh, the law enforcement community and, and Hazaras have been at the forefront of the victims in, in Quetta. And why is this relevant to PIA? I think it's relevant to PIA because PIA sort of flies people in and flies, flies people out of, uh, out of that city um, indiscriminately, if you will, right? There's probably no way that the, any of the Quetta routes are profitable. But because uh, our country is an amalgam of different nations, we need to have connectivity uh, for all parts of the country, with all parts of the country. In fact, I would say, you know, I'm interested in the Quetta sort of, you know, at what stage do you have Quetta Gujranwala flights, right? Or, you know, uh, 
I don't know, Quetta Multan shuttles. Uh, and, and you don't, of course, right now. Right now, I think Quetta flies, uh, Quetta has flights from Karachi and from Islamabad and, and that's it. And, and Quetta is only the tip of the iceberg. There's many uh, much smaller routes using smaller planes uh, where PIA is not making any money, but it's, it's stringing together the, the nation in some ways. Does that make any sense to you? It does. And, but the only thing that I'm thinking is that um, I agree that a national airline plays that role, especially where it's in terms of connecting routes which are not necessarily profitable. But there are other ways of also managing that, which is announcing competitive subsidies for internal airlines. And the money that you'd pay your own airline, um, you could also sidetrack that to other ones. So you could have possibly Air Blue Shaheen picking those up and essentially doing a government contract on that without having to turn a profit because the government is putting in that uh, money. Um, and then, of course, the fares also subsidize whatever. So I'm, I'm just wondering, is that do, you might not really need PIA just for that. You need, P, you need a subsidized route, whether the private sector or the public one takes it up is another thing. Of course, I realize that maybe the private sector isn't as interested but, um, you know, the other thing that comes to mind on PIA is one is, of course, is that, you know, having the government essentially killing, you know, striking workers is appalling. It is beyond appalling. And, you know, how it happened, it's probably symptomatic of the larger privatization issue, which hasn't been managed well. But at the same time, you know, one wonders what the role of um, these unions are right now, because... Uh, unions, of course, serve a very important function, and they can also be a very collaborative function, as they've shown to be in Germany and other areas, where they're even negotiating salary cuts on occasion. Like, how does it work? What works best? Um, and possibly, I mean, just one random thing that comes to mind is, of all the institutions I know in the countries, you know, whether it's the police, the judiciary, I just find I have a very personal soft spot for PIA. It's very humanized to me in some of its failings. I don't know. I've always in, enjoyed international flights on PIA because they're just really chill about it. It's, it's like one of the most amazing things, like, you know, the way the tea comes in. The food is probably fresher than most other airlines in some ways. I don't know if you'd agree with that. Well, I think, th so So let me pick up on the food. Uh, you know that I have this whole thing. It's this great dream of mine, and frankly, I, d I don't think I've been able to realize it to the extent that I might have, especially when I was in government. But I, I really feel like there's some things about Pakistan that we don't, these are parts of the Pakistani story that we don't tell enough, and food is right up on top for me. Um, and when I think about food and I think about PIA, I think, wow, here's this amazing opportunity to show a version of Pakistan that's, that's really better than anything that, that foreigners know about us. And what better way to bring people to Pakistan than on a PIA flight that works in the best way possible. And it starts with the food and the quality of service and the hospitality. Um, and then it you know, segues into things that don't really exist in the way that we'd like them to, like cleanliness and 
efficiency and timeliness and those sorts of things. And if you put those things together, here's, here's the other part. So there's the whole domestic argument, which I think you've argued the counterpoint is, is valid, is that you don't need BIA to do that because, you know, private organizations, private airlines can, can pick up the, the difference. And, and I think that if government is smart, there's definitely ways that that can be structured. But on the international front, when you go to a Turkish restaurant anywhere in the world, you know what one of the things that you'll see in a Turkish restaurant is? Anywhere in the world. Guess, guess what you see? What? You see a sign uh, of Turkish Airlines. You see a Turkish Airlines sign. You probably see a little model airplane. And there's like a phone number for the, the local Turkish Airlines sort of booking office. And it's kind of a... It's kind of a... It's kind of a projection of, of nationhood. It's a, it's a way in which a country kind of announces that it's, that it's landed and that it's there and here's how you get to that country. Yeah. I, I mean, I, isn't it weird? Can you imagine not having a, like a national flag carrier or you know, not having a, that thing that you just mentioned, you know, that kind of homely feeling that you get when you climb aboard a PIA flight. I mean, I'll tell you two stories. Like, I'll tell you some things I love about PIA. One is there are things that, you know, the air hostess or the stewards, there's a way that they speak to you, that they care. On some days they're terrible, but on I remember once, it'll also be surreal. I was sitting down and, you know, one of the air hostesses sat next to me and while I have restless leg syndrome, which means obviously I'm never going to walk a lot or run, but I just like shaking my leg. And she came to me and she said, you know, you've got a psychological problem. <laughs> I was like, what do you mean? I'm afraid there's something wrong in your head. And have you talked to people about it? You know, Don't you have discipline in your life? I said, what have I done? She said, why can't you stop shaking your leg? And I said, look, and, and, and it was this, and it's it was a the very... only airline. It's the only airline that'll fly aunties with you to remind you of your foibles. <laughs> <laughs> and it was great. I mean, I mean, she was very matronly, very polite, and she really she cared know, to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah that yeah. you know, uh, obviously she. Uh, I don't know what she thought was supremely wrong with uh, not being able to stop shaking your leg, but. And the other thing is, you know, in food, I used to have um, a friend who worked here at Agora, and he hated flying in Pakistan. He hated our airports. But he said one thing. Whenever he had to go on a flight, he says, you know what I love in your airports? And of course, this is to the benefit of the Civil Aviation Authority, not PIA. And I was like, what? He says, I just can't get enough of that yellow cake. Which is chai That is the best thing there is. So I, I agree. I, I think PIA has, you know, it, it was like, you know, in England, you've got the NHA. It was an institution that was beloved in Pakistan. But at least over the past 10 years, I think there's a feeling that PIA has morphed into a very small collective that has become a welfare institution for, um, you know, a subgroup of employees. I don't know if that's a fair assessment or not, but 
that particular aspect of it is something that's interesting that um, has sort of changed the debate in some ways because whether it's privatized or not, I don't think PIA can run the way it has. And um, it has to significantly either turn around, either, you know, get a significant strategic investor, but... Something has to... Something has to give. I mean... Look, there's there's so many angles to this. Uh, there was a flight maybe three three years ago that I was on, and... I've always been big on efficiency in PA. And as I said, you know, there's there was a time not that long ago where I was pretty pretty clear in my head that privatizing a PIA would be not only a good thing, but it, that privatizing it is, is a necessary thing. And I was talking to, it was one of those ATR flights, and I was talking to uh, the uh, the cabin crew, and there was two young ladies and two young men that were working the the flight and i i usually take the 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 seat that's furthest back in the ATR because that's the one that you can get on last and get off first uh, and if you don't have any luggage that you know really helps you get out of the airplane and then the airport rather quickly and so i spent maybe 25 minutes talking to them and these two ladies were from dadu and I often say to people, if you can point out where Dadu is on a map of Pakistan, I'll, I'll give you 500 rupees because it's not a, you know, it's not Lahore and it's not Karachi and it's not Islamabad, but it's not even Multan or Gujarawala or Kuwait or Peshawar, right? Like Dadu is Dadu. Yeah. And there's these two girls, these two women, you know, from Dadu, two women from Dadu, right? That are making like 150 you know, probably anywhere between 100 and, and 200,000 rupees a month, depending on, you know, at, at the early stage of their career, depending on how many flights they do. And you think about the potential impact that they're having. On, yeah. Uh, but look at the impact that they might be having. They're having an impact on their village, their family. They're having an impact on their younger sisters. They're having an impact on all the girls in the, in the bradri, right? Because whatever, let's say her name is Samina, right? Like, Samina's not cooking and cleaning. Samina moved to Karachi, has an apartment in Karachi, and is a is an air hostess, right? And that's like a, that's not a thing that's far away on the television for those young girls in Dadu. That's a thing that's part of their life. The thing about, the thing that we often forget about the inefficiency of stacking political appointments and 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 people from villages in these corporations. Of course, uh, everybody should be on merit. But if everybody was on merit, Fussy, this country would continue to be run entirely by people from Karachi and Lahore. And and nobody would ever would ever have a chance, maybe Peshawar as well, to, to an extent. You know, what we've seen since the 1970s is the constant uh, dripping in and blooding in of of Pakistanis that weren't just from these places, but that were from all over the country. And a lot of it was political patronage and it was nasty and it wasn't efficient and it was dishonest. And there was all of those problems with it. But I don't, you know, despite those problems, there's a there's an essential kind of federalizing role that this 
that this political economy has has played, which I don't think should be ignored, uh, you know, because I don't think that these things can be, when you're trying to think of this from the perspective of a nation, they can be black or white. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if that sounds like an excuse for the PPP's or sort of horrendous record, but but that's not what it is. I mean, it's just it's just a a different angle, a different way to look at patronage based stacking the decks with with these with these appointments. I um, actually agree with that. That's a very sensitive point that you've brought out, and it's something that needs to be kept in mind. And I do agree. I mean, I, I wish that it was the formalized process as opposed to a patronage distribution. But, um, you know, the other thing that I also wanted, and this is uh, something a friend of mine told me today, and there is one concern of the fallout that's come from, say, the collective action that's going on. Is some flights ran today. And the question is, like, you know, who are the engineers? Were there sufficient checks? Are these flights being run to show a government, um, you know, that's striking back in a Thatcherite fashion and is going to make sure that we've got departures? But the question is, is that are there any corners being cut? And I think that has a huge, of course, um, um, impact or, you know, potential questions on whether... There's a safety issue that's going on. And, I mean, I don't know if you know anything about it, but I found that is a very interesting question, one that may be unfounded, but, you know, it's a reasonable one to raise. I think that the way that the government is trying to go about this, um, just from top to bottom, is it reflects this... Uh, there's a consistency to the thoughtlessness of the way this government tries to do things. And I think it can get away with it in some cases, but I think that you can't you can't have people getting killed at protests, and you can't be allowing the egos of individuals to drive decision making that affects thousands of people, and in the case of PIA, that affects the national brand. Uh, certainly, this is an emirate, so it's not like a few strikes is going to damage the brand uh, too badly. But the, the thing you, that you just mentioned is it represents a significant risk. And, and we don't know. You know, the question is, somebody else might come back and say, well, you know, our, how do we know corners aren't being cut during regular flight operations? And, and damn it, you know, we don't know, <laughs> you know, and that's, and that's exactly the point of it. Um, I think that partly this whole exercise is being undertaken so that we do know eventually. But I think the way that it's been done, uh, the preparation that's gone into it, I mean, how many consultations did they do? How many uh, journalists or, or columnists or anchors did they bring on board and give a presentation to? The, you know, there's this arrogance that drives the PMLN decision-making uh, machine in which basically, especially when they're doing well, which is, which is every, every day uh, for the last, I mean, basically since they came into office with, with the exception maybe of a few days during the dharna, yeah. uh, they've, had, they've had the run of the table. And so I think that they feel that they don't need to prepare the nation for any decisions. They don't need to talk to people with a little bit of uh, 
humility. They don't need to consider that when you take everything away from a man, the only thing that that man has left is his or her dignity. Uh, that man or that woman has left is, is his or her dignity. And that when you do take away everything, the one thing that they'll still continue to hold, no matter what you take away from them, is dignity. So, so why not lend them that dignity from the get-go and then take whatever you have to take? Like, this is, I mean, this isn't, this isn't rocket science, right? Like you just yeah. said, the United Kingdom pulled us off in the 80s, and there's people in the UK who regret that process to this day, yeah. but that process is done and it's finished with. You want to be the neoliberal Pakistan that you clearly sort of espouse? Go ahead, do it. But don't shoot people while doing it. Or don't allow yourself to look like you've been shooting people while doing it. Even if, even if we accept the government's contention that, uh, that those two deaths in Karachi were, that, that they weren't caused by government action. In the public perception, they were. And, and this is not the first time, you know. People are right to bring up Model Town and, and to ask what, what it is about this government that, you know, uh, keeps allowing this kind of thing to happen. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, um, it's interesting also is that the level to, I like your question, is like, how do we know during regular operating hours or during times prior to the strike or privatization, were corners being cut because this is an organization that is seriously dysfunctional. And it reminds me of this PIA pilot who was arrested in the UK or detained. And, you know, he came back he had polished off a bottle of whiskey and he was several times over the, you know, sort of limit. And I loved his answer when, you know, the airport officials questioned him. Like, don't you know you're not supposed to? And he's like, since when? When did the, you make this rule? It's like, you know, it was the best rejoinder. Like, really? You know, whiskey? Or is it for vodka or something like that? And... The, the point being is that, yeah, I agree with you. Um, it's symptomatic. And it's interesting that also is that, you know, for the opposition, which has been sort of clutching at straws, trying to find a way, this is not a bad uh, point to get together on and actually put some pressure on the government uh, outside of just privatization. It's symptomatic of what the government is behaving like these days. The other thing, though, you know, I, I just want to point out to the listeners is that so we did an experiment and because we've got, uh, you know, um, we've, we've had a guest from the States who's, who's in the States right now. We're doing this through Skype. And one of the things that I was critically very careful of is looking at which button has the phone thing, which one has the video thing. And then at one point, Mishara, by mistake, did press the video thing. And like me, I noticed that he's also in his banana. And uh, so <laughs> uh, I was really careful. <laughs> <laughs> banana wala scene jayega. So, yeah. So, any parting points? No. I, well, I guess two or three. Um, one is... That's exactly right. We've uh, this is the first episode of the podcast in which Fassi and I are not physically together. Hence, um, we are in relaxed mode. 
clothing. So yes, um, it's a casual Sunday. Uh, it's it's uh, yeah. you know clothing is optional type of a scene <laughs> basically, um, and so that's the first point. The second point is that we've had guests on these uh, podcasts because, frankly, they're much more interesting people than than myself for sure. Nobody's as interesting as as the fussy zaka, but but the guests are really interesting people, and what we're trying to do is give uh, these people an uninterrupted run of speaking, except interruptions by myself and, and Fussy. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is also, we don't know everything, uh, or even something, so uh, it's good to bring on people who, you know, have, uh, who are really invested in certain areas and know things that, you know, need to come out. Absolutely. Um, I've written op-eds about PIA. Uh, I, I'm Actually, pretty... I was about to tell you this. I don't know if you remember this, but one of your first articles, I called you when I saw it, when you just started writing. And I loved your piece on the PIA. And I asked you, I said, how did you do this? And you explained to me, you took the annual report and you made all these new calculations. Yeah. And it was a great piece. I don't know if that was your first piece. That was my, f- it wasn't my first ever piece, but it was... It was early on in my op-ed writing uh, sort of career, and yeah. uh, it was one that was really well liked. And I guess there's an element of melancholy in in that so much of what we write that is memorable has to do with what's wrong. And you know, you you remember the piece that I remember of yours, uh, the one that probably caused a little bit of friction in our relationship as well. And that too was, it was after a horrible, horrible sort of yeah. incident. And it's, uh, you know, we had Nadeem on and he's sitting in Washington and he's this really smart guy. And Nadeem and I do, we, we disagree very severely on some things. But I always think to myself, here's like a PhD in economics from Chicago that went to school and was supervised by, by Gary Becker, who's a Nobel laureate. And... Like, in terms of the sort of infrastructure of the way that his brain works as an economist, mine works slightly differently. Uh, first, it doesn't work as well, but it also ideologically, you know, I have... But despite all of that, a lot of what Nadim says makes, makes a fair bit of sense, and we should be benefiting as a country from the assets like Nadim. And there's hundreds, thousands of those people, right? Uh, I mean, not to... Not to diminish anything the theme represents, but literally, there's like thousands of really super smart people outside Pakistan, inside Pakistan, and instead of being run by the collective wisdom and knowledge and experience of those people, we get to be run by the egos of of, of cabinet members who don't talk to one another. Don't even talk to each other. What to what to say of talking to experts or talking to Nadeem yeah. or talking to Salman Akhmaraja or talking yeah. to Faisal Nakvi or talking to Prata- I mean imagine these guys actually picking up the phone and calling Indians, right? Air India yeah. Air India is just as dysfunctional as PIA, maybe more because it's bigger. Well, uh, wh- I don't know if you if you know this but you probably heard it, it's a cliche. In the 80s it was really famous that PIA stood for please inform Allah because it was such a rickety airline in some ways. Yeah. But Air India was Allah informed. Like it was worse. Yeah. It was already that, you know, uh, 
you know, it was it was already at a point that uh, God had already sort of written seen it off. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. No, so I think you know the spirit of this podcast, like like the previous ones, is just to sort of explore that you know that space in which we can learn from smarter people than us, and there's always going to be somebody smarter. Um, than the last guy. Although I have to say, I don't know if they, it gets much smarter than Pratap Banu Mehta. Dude, I, I have <laughs> to say, that guy, I mean, I've been reading his pieces, I've loved them, but when I heard it again, the thing I realized was the sheer density of ideas. Yeah, it was something. It was like it within was one answer, if you really wanted to explore, you could spend hours just delving in at, you know, like it's like taking an encyclopedia and opening a book and just sifting through it. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, on that note, uh, let me ask and request viewers once again to leave uh, a few stars and a review on iTunes, if you please will. And they are purposely resisting. We have. Uh, we have like four or five reviews now. We have a number of stars, so it's really I okay. Yeah, I'll check out. yeah, yeah. You need to you need to go back and so thanks to everyone who has left a, a, a review and who just everyone who's been listening and providing feedback and heading us up on on social media. It's really the the reaction and the response is uh, is inspiring and it's what keeps me and Fussy conversing late at night. Um, from several hundred miles apart, uh, trying to trying to bring this to you. So thank you again uh, for listening, and uh, look forward to hopefully bringing bringing you some more interesting conversation. Some and by interesting the way, Pakistani I conversation on Shaheen Air. It's pretty good. Well, there you go. There's a plug for Shaheen Air. We need yeah. to, we need to charge them for this. Yes. All right then. Take care of yourself, Fussy. Okay, you too. Thanks a lot. All right, cheers. Khudafiz. Khudafiz.